If you're a guest with us, we, um, or if you're joining us online and you've never, um, you haven't watched any of this series, we are today in the seventh, uh, the sixth part of the series called Family by the Book. And let me encourage you to understand this message properly. You've got to under, you've got to understand what we've preached so far. If you're online and even here, and you've maybe kind of like. Well, if I don't make it there on a Sunday, I kind of miss a message. Let me tell you, you've got to go back and hear the messages. In fact, let me just give you a concern. Am I allowed to give you pastoral concerns that I have sometimes? Am I allowed to speak those kind of things, pastoral concerns? I have some pastoral concerns. And for you online, I have this for you. For you in here, I have this. Here's my concern. Since the, this was actually happened before the coronavirus, but I, I see it exacerbated even more now, is... Before the coronavirus, if someone missed, there was about a 50-50 shot that they caught this message. But for the most part, they were here if they were part of our church, 50-50 shot. But it wasn't uncommon for me to talk to somebody and they would go like, hey, did you hear what Francis Chan said this past week? And I would say like, well, no, or maybe I had. And then if I asked them like, well, I didn't see last week, like, what do you think about the message? And they'll go like, I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but did you hear what Francis Chan had to say? And I would go, well... Now, by the way, Francis Chan is a much better speaker than me, so don't think I'm coming from like a pastoral pride, like, well, Nick, if you spoke like Francis Chan, then, of course, you know, we wouldn't miss a sermon. But what I'm actually really more concerned about is this. One, the cult of personality that we Christians are keep buying into. By the way, you know, love Francis Chan, love Tony Evans, love John MacArthur, listen to these guys, you know, I, I love... Um, and I love, these, I love Ray Comfort. Um, I mean, like all these guys, listen to them myself. But I need you to understand this online. And here, you have to care more about what your elders say than what anybody else outside of our congregation. All right? I'm just telling you. Now, listen, they're all gifts. I listen to them. I, I spent a lot of money to get a, to get a master's degree from John MacArthur's college. Okay? So don't think I'm down on these guys. All right? But you have got to care what happens in your local body. You can never miss a message. If you're not here, we have taken great strides. Everybody, can can you just look around and you see Bill Androsky right there? Can everybody say hi, Bill? Can everybody say thank you, Bill? Everything is cataloged online, and Bill works hard to make sure that's there. Honor his work and honor the Lord. I'm getting concerned because there's people that are saying like, Oh, man, like, yeah, we're still there. We're still, and, and they're not hearing our messages. Like, they're catching things here and there. Online, it is essential that you listen to everything we say so that you are clued in as a part of our body. If our shepherds, our elders are pastoring you, you are not getting pastored if you are not hearing the messages that God is leading us as elders to preach and teach through this church. Like, you're not. It's essential for this time period. It's actually essential any kind of time, but... Okay, I'm done with my pastoral concern. I'm just super concerned. And this isn't flippant. This isn't like Nick. Man, Nick has, has some pride that he wants, which I do have pride, you know. you know. But it's not based out of that. It's out of concern of kind of the, the trend that we're kind of going to. Are y'all with me? Do you understand that with me? Can you nod online? Okay, thank you. So now back to the matter at hand. So we've been talking about this Genesis ideal for the family We've been looking at Genesis 1 through 2. Take your Bible and go back over to Genesis 1 through 2. And today we're going to look, we've looked at week 1, the Genesis ideal for the family. Week 2, we looked at 
the Genesis ideal for marriage. Week three, we looked at the Genesis ideal for men, husbands, fathers, leadership, and that aspect of responsibility. Week four was the Genesis ideal for men, husbands, fathers, part two, that the servanthood part of leadership. Last week, we looked at the Genesis ideal for women, uh, for wives, for mothers, and we looked at this idea of her providing essential support with the Hebrew word ezer, which means assistant, help, support. Something that God does is 16 times he said to Ezra Israel, which, which gives this kind of idea that you could look at uh, this, this essential support that a wife provides for a husband as being like a warrior. And now today we're going to look at that other side of womanhood for wives, mothers, um, particularly more wives, but submissiveness. Now, no, I just said the dreaded S word, submissiveness. It's an evil word. I get it. But the Genesis ideal is that women would not only ezer their husbands, help, support, aid, be a warrior, okay? Essential support, but also the other side of that would be submissiveness. Now, I want you to understand, when we talked about male leadership, we talked about if all he sees in his leadership is responsibility, he can power grab to make sure, because he's going to kind of grab power to make sure his responsibilities happen. So for him to accurately understand responsibility, he's got to understand servanthood. These two things come together and make his leadership really biblical as God's intended. But if a man takes on that it's just servanthood only in his leadership, he a lot of times doesn't actually lead out his responsibilities. He becomes a doormat in the sense that he's afraid to do what it takes to, to lead his family, even if there's resistance. So he has to have these two deals of, of, of responsibility and servanthood come together proper leadership. For a woman, you see that there's this aspect of Ezer, this essential support that she provides. And this essential support, if not coupled with the other side of submissiveness, can lead her to think, wait a minute, I can dominate this guy. Like, yeah, he is an idiot. And like, if he doesn't get my essential support, he, he's just a goofus. Now, that could be somewhat true, okay? But we're talking about the overall leadership of the family. By the way, that was a joke, so don't. Don't get your feelings hurt, men, okay? Someone online's like, that's why I don't listen to these messages. Click, where's Francis Chan at? I think he's in Asia right now, so there's a time difference. He's probably asleep, okay? But there's this other side, submissiveness. So when a woman understands she has this huge warrior support role of Ezer in the Hebrew, but then also she has this idea of submissiveness. She now knows how to put it together. If she only sees herself as an Ezer, she's going to go for power grab. And if she only sees herself as submissive, then she's not, she's going to let, she's going to see herself as just some doormat who never speaks into her husband. I've had, I've had wives before that have said, I was just trying to be submissive. So, um, so I allowed my husband to get into this sin. I, I let my husband watch pornography because I was just trying to be submissive. And I would say, well, because you understood one side, but not the other side. You should have easered him in that, okay? An essential support for him during that. You should have lovingly rebuked him in that. You, you should have made sure that on your part that you, you did what the Bible had called you in the areas of sexual intimacy, that you could help him, that you would pray for him, you would admonish him. So both these elements have to come together. So we're going to look at submissiveness today. And let me say this. 
This is a hard one because it's misunderstood. But let me peel back first and look at the Genesis ideal of submissiveness. Then my goal is, after we look at the Genesis ideal of submission, we'll look at the false misunderstandings of submission. And after we look at the false misunderstandings of submission, we'll look at the heart of submission. Then we'll look at some practical aspects of submission. Look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. First, let me just point you back to the Genesis ideal of submission. By the way, when I say the word submission, the word used in the Greek is hupatasso, hupatasso. Okay, and if you, you know, want to ever remember what is hupatasso, just think like a hoop, okay? Something you're shooting for, right? Hupatasso. It means the idea of to place under, to bring under control, to line up under. It has the idea of placing oneself in a rank lower than someone else. It, it's, it, it's cooperative. That's what submission means. It is not subservience. It means that you willingly place yourself in the order that God has designed for his glory and your good and protection. Now, let me show this to you in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. First, I want you to notice in verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That's Genesis 2, 7. Adam is created first, and because he's created first, he has a position of leadership and headship. If you don't believe that, then go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we quoted last week. Man was created first, and the woman was created for him. That doesn't mean that she's created from the step over, but she's created as an ezer. Now look at chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Notice, Eve is not on the scene yet. Adam is already practicing some of the stewardship of creation, the cultural mandate, some of it that God had already mandated in chapter 1, verse 27, although he couldn't do it completely on his own. He couldn't do it long term. He already took some initiation to do what God wanted him to do. He's cultivating the garden, but he wasn't going to be able to cultivate this long term because he would need an uh, help me. He would need an easer, a suitable easer, a connecto easer. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Notice. Eve is not on the scene. Adam's on the scene. God gives the command to Adam directly right here. We never find in the text that God speaks that command to Eve. Now, could he have? It's possible. However, when we look at the order of the home, we look at the totality of Scripture, it would seem that God really rested that on Adam. He was responsible to relay that. Now, something seemed to happen in the midst of that transmission or something Because when you go over to chapter 3 and you look at verse 6. So then the woman saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Notice that he was with her when she took the fruit. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14 reveals that she was deceived in this. Adam wasn't deceived in this. He was with her. Something was wrong here. He should have stepped in. He was given the command. He was to transfer the command to her. When you look in the beginning of chapter 3, she even does some misquoting of the command. She says, you should not touch it lest you die. My wonder is, where did she get that? Did Adam not accurately disciple her? Did he not take his leadership role? But nonetheless, we find that he is supposed to lead and she is supposed to Submit and follow. But we don't see that in this order here. 
She takes and she gives to with him. There's a reversal that God had established and designed. Look over here at verse, at verse chapter 6 and look in verse 9. They know they're now naked and, naked and ashamed. Look in verse uh, 9. But the Lord called, well, we'll start in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. The man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. This is chapter 3, verse 8. And the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the, what does it say? Who is he called to? Who? Adam, the man. Who takes of it first and eats? Eve. But who is called responsible in this? Adam. What do we see here? We see an order for the home. We see Adam providing that leadership. Her providing that not only she's an Ezer, but she's also to be submissive. She's to follow under rank and file. Now that has nothing to do with inferiority. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. So block that out of your mind. But that's the order. The interesting thing is, look in chapter 3, verse 16. When, he is, when God is pronouncing judgments, the curses that are going to happen... In chapter 3, verse 16, he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. You can take that up with Eve later on. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. We don't have the time to, to dig into it, but this idea that, that God's getting across is your desire, that Hebrew word desire, when you look at it, that same word used of Cain and Abel, she would have part of the the struggle for her would be in the garden. There's a reversal of the order. She kind of goes from the submissive role to the leadership role. And that now helps to throw off. And, and Adam capitulates to it. But at the same time, part of her ongoing struggle is going to be that she is going to, in verse 16, her desire will be contrary to her husband. She will seek to, to, to take this kind of position of power and not submission. That will be a unique kind of temptation for her. And to be honest with you, I think sometimes women have been put in that particular way because men have not been leading them well. I mean, all the rights that feminism has had to fight for through history has not been a result of because men were being so benevolent towards their women. It was because men were being terrible to their women, calling them insignificant, not letting them vote, not letting them have a say, completely minimizing them, creating polygamy, multiple marriages. So women have had to do it out of a desperation. But yet he says this is going to be a struggle. You're going to struggle to want to take back power. But he shall rule over you. Meaning even he would struggle, even some in this, that his rule would sometimes get abusive and overreaching. Now look at verse 17. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now listen to that. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to your wife. What he's talking about in context here is, because you directly went against what I had said. You listened to the voice of your wife in this matter. You've eaten of the tree of which, what does he say? I commanded what? You. This is why I sometimes say, like, I, I'm not so sure that, that God didn't leave that more in Adam's realm to accurately tell her and let her know about this tree. Now, we don't know some of that speculation, but God seems to be coming down on Adam pretty hard saying, you listened to the voice of your wife. You, you didn't follow the template and order for the home that I had. So this is the Genesis ideal. By the way, um, if you recall anything that happens in this text, look in chapter 2 and verse 25. Before the fall, 
Adam and Eve, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not, what? What does it say? Ashamed. Now look in chapter 3, verse 7. And their eyes were both open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here's what you find. God wants the ideal as a Genesis 2 marriage, where we are naked and not ashamed. There is transparency. There is friendship. We're not hiding anything from each other. We aren't doing things like men, like what a lot of men do, is stashing away money secretly and not telling a spouse about it, you know. Um, I know some spouses, some wives are like, I wish he did, okay? I'd be okay with that, just so I know we weren't broke. Or, you understand, or he's got secret credit card accounts that he's having sent to his office that she never knows about. So we find that there's this naked and not ashamed, but then once sin enters in, they are ashamed. They're hiding. Not only that, they're hiding from God. Now do this. You might think, okay, wait a minute. So you're saying the Genesis ideal has always been for a wife to walk in a submissive role and for him to practice leadership. You're saying this has always been him responsible, him servanthood, and then her to be this Ezer, and then for her to be submissive. Yes, that has been the Genesis ideal. It is not cultural to just the New Testament. That's always been how God designed the home to work. Now, let me show this to you. It never changed in 4,000 years of history. Go over to First uh, Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. We might do some page turning today. Look in First Timothy chapter 2. Even when discussing here contextually about women taking the position of pastor, elder, teaching, and authority to the church body. Not because she couldn't do it very confidently, because it doesn't go with the order of the home and the order of the church. It says in verse 11, let the women learn quietly with all submissiveness. There's that word submissive, by the way. It doesn't mean that women can't talk in church. We don't see that in the totality of scripture. Clearly women were talking in church. They were praying and prophesying in church. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Remember, we're talking about doctrinal instruction authority as a pastor elder. But notice what he appeals to, the reason why. For Adam was first, was formed first. Notice, Adam was formed first. Where is Paul appealing to this idea of... He's going back to creation. He's going back to Genesis. He says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, became a transgressor. Some say, well, women... And this text aren't in the position of this is why women don't get to teach and preach just because they've been deceived and they can be deceived easy by being a pastor. And I would say, well, I would say, actually, let's back up way before that. It doesn't fall in with creation's pattern of how everything is designed. He is designed all the way back and it never changed in 4,000 years of history from, a, from a, the time of Genesis to the time of First Timothy. God's always designed it to work this way. A submissiveness of a wife to her husband. Even when you look at Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 clearly lays this out. When you look at Ephesians 5 and verse 25. I'm going to read through this text because we're going to refer to it very often. It says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Oh, I'm, actually, I'm sorry. I skipped the part you probably wanted to hear. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and as himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. So lest you think, man, that sounds kind of ogreish. Yeah, but you just got to read the rest of the text. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then look what it says to the husbands. It doesn't say husbands, step over your wives. It says, husbands, now love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrifice yourself for her. Cherish her. He might sanctify her. Cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word. He's saying, as Christ is this to the church, you cleanse her with the water of the word. Verse 27, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourish and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The parallel here between Christ and the church and a husband and his wife, the church is submissive to Christ, and Christ practices a benevolent leadership over the church in such that he cares. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where is Paul getting that verse? He's getting that back in Genesis 2, isn't he? He's going back to the Genesis ideal. Why would there be this idea of Christ loving the church and leading the church and her in the church submitting and responding to Christ? Because he would be saying this points back to the Genesis ideal that husband and wife were one and that Adam had his responsibility to benevolently lead and her to follow. And they this is exactly as it should be in Genesis 2, 23 through 24. And sin marred it up in verse in chapter 3. He goes back to the Genesis ideal. He said, this is a profound mystery, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Just an awesome thing. <laughs> the whole, like the fall, here's what I love. The fall in Genesis 3 did not surprise God. Because in Genesis 2, 24, that was already planned. But that's another subject matter for another day. Look in verse 33. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the first thing I want to point out to you is, this is the Genesis ideal online. This is the Genesis ideal. There's nothing, that means as a wife, there's nothing wrong with you saying to another woman you are discipling, God calls you to be submissive to your husband. You don't have to be shy about that. You don't have to be shy to declare that. Now, just so you know, online here, that's not very popular, you know, like culture-wide. Just so you understand, that's not going to be very understood. But let's do this. I want to clear up some misconceptions because I find that sometimes people misunderstand submission. So I, now that I've talked to you about the Genesis ideal for submission, I want to talk to you about false understandings for submission. False understandings. First is this. That word submission in the Bible, it is not a dirty word. It may conjure up ideas of weakness, defeat, and abuse, but it's a good word. It's a Bible word. Hupatasso. It's used over and over. It's not a bad word. It means to line up under. It has the idea of placing yourself under someone else's rank, willingly. Not they don't make you do it. It's that you decide to do it of your own self. Submissiveness is not dirty. If it was a dirty word, then we're saying Jesus is dirty. Because Jesus was submissive as well. You recall in the garden, Matthew twenty six thirty nine, where Jesus said to the Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but what? Thy will be done. Your will be done. What was Jesus saying? Submission to the Father. So for us to say submission is a dirty word, then we're going to say Jesus is dirty. Oh, what heresy that would be. If we're going to say that's sinful, then we would say Jesus is sinful. What heresy that would be. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 tells us, 
When all things are subject to him, talking about Christ, then the Son himself will be subjected to him, God, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 points out to us clearly, Jesus is submissive to the Father. And this is exactly what God wants. If we were to say submission is dirty, we would be striking it against our Savior. Let alone if we were to look in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It talks about this submissive attitude that Jesus had. This submissive, submissive lifestyle. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 of Philippians 2. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. And born in being in likeness of man. And being in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Obedient to the point of death. Do you see the submission of Christ to the Father's will? It is not a dirty word. It's a good word. I would hope that as the older women disciple the younger women, part of our discipleship is submission. Now you're going to have to help them understand the proper context understanding of that because it's fraught with inaccuracies. That's a good word. It's a Bible word. Submission is not a... So it's not a dirty word. It's also not a second-rate status. It's not a second-rate status. I've had some go, okay, fine, Nick. That's what the Bible talks about is a a submissiveness to a husband. But that just means she's at a second-rate status. Oh, really? Are we willing to say Jesus was second-rate to the Father? Are we willing to say that? Aren't they, I mean, aren't we Trinitarian believers? Don't we believe in the personhood of the Father, the personhood of the Son, the personhood of God, the person of the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to say that the Son is not God? Are we willing to say the Holy Spirit is not God? No. So we can't say that submission is a second-rate status. If we were to say that, we would be saying Jesus is not really God. He's just some second-rate, lower kind of created being, which is what cults do. Even the Holy Spirit. If you were to look in John 16, 13 through 16, let me read to you about the Holy Spirit, His submission to the Father and the Son. Jesus said in John 16, 13 through 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you unto the truth. And He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. Doesn't that sound a lot like something submissive? The Holy Spirit speaking what he's heard from the Godhead. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. Sounds a lot like submission. For he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Do you not see even the Holy Spirit? Submission is not a dirty word. It is not a second rate status. The Trinity is not second rate. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God. They have a functional order to them, but all God. Not second rate. Submission also does not mean inequality of women to men. It does not mean that. Look in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. It does not mean that. Submission is not inequality of women to men. Before you get to Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your own husbands. Look in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice that. Do you see that? Now, what's the context of verse 21? Well, you actually got to go up to chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? It means with your congregation, with your church, you address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Spiritual living in the body is singing together. When you look at the parallel passage, it's being in the Word together over in Colossians. You give thanks every, always and for everything to God the Father. One of our edifying things when we do edification, you should, we can thank God. We can let that be known among the church body. This is a spiritual thing. This is body life together. And then he says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, just so you know, we'll look at this at the end, Lord willing. Verse 21 is talking about life in the body. Verse 18 through 21, life in the body. And then you get to verse 22 through 33, you get life in the home. And then you get to chapter 6, life in the home with the kids. And then you go further into chapter 6, life in the rest of the household. There's this kind of flow that comes out of the entire passage. Because, by the way, all the way back in Ephesians 1, 18 through 22, actually talked about Jesus being the head. How is he the head? Because he's the head through the work of the cross and then how it outlays itself in all the order of the family, all the way from the church, how the church responds and under the headship of Christ, how the home does between a husband and wife, how the home does between them and their children. But look in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is talking about the church body. So is there this idea that in the church body there is submission one to another? Absolutely. That's why I would say submission does not mean inequality of women to men. Now, some people ask and say, what are we talking about then? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, Nick, I get it. Verse 18 through 21, we're talking about in the body. The body's singing together. That's spirit-filled. Okay, they're studying the word together in the parallel passage in Colossians. I get that, Nick. They're being thankful. I get that. How does this look? I would say, here's what I think. Over in the New Testament, there are several one another's. Several one another's. And where do we find this submission in the body of men to women in the body of submitting to one another? I think we find that because it says submitting to one another. I think we're following in the parallel because all the scripture, you interpret all the scripture. I think we're falling in with the one another's. Which means we do submit to each other in certain ways in the body. This is why the submission is not this women are inferior to men because as a whole, even men are doing this to women in the congregation. So, for instance, as a man, I, I am to submit to women in our body in certain ways. For instance, the, the Bible commands me to love one another, John 13, 34. That is submission to the Lord when I am submitting, you know, to, to loving women and them loving me as well. And we're loving together in the body. Being devoted to one another. This is another fulfillment of submitting to honoring one another. Romans 12, 10. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 12. Build one another up. Romans 14, 9. Be like-minded towards each other. Romans 15, 5. Accept one another. Romans 15, 7. This is all what I think in Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting to one another in the body of Christ. Admonishing one another. Romans 15, 14, meaning if I'm walking in sin, any sister in Christ, I mean, if she sees it, she can correct me. Especially even as an elder, if a couple of sisters see it, like I I deserve to be admonished, greeting one another, Romans 16. Just the fact that there's a weight on you as body of Christ people that you would go, wait a minute, I have to not just rest in my seat when I come 
but I've got to actually greet people, right? I've got to, like, turn off the phone. Don't come and sit and, like, scroll the phone, right? You can do that the rest of the week. Like, greet people. That's a practicing of submitting one to another. That's, by the way, because it's hard sometimes. You don't always want to do that. Care for one another. Serve one another. Galatians 5, 13. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Ephesians 4, 32. Forgiving one another is a practice of submitting to one another in the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 21. Patience with one another. Speak the truth with one another. Okay, do you, do you get the idea? you get the idea? All the one another's that the Bible talks about, I've only given you like half. Even the negative ones, like don't lie to one another, Colossians 3, 9. These are ways we submit to each other in the body of Christ. So, this idea that submission, I mean like false idea that submission is subservience of like the inequality of women to men, that's not true because in Ephesians 5, 21... That happens all the way to the, in the body of Christ as we actually lay this out with each other. So that's not true. Not true. That's an error. That's an error in understanding of the totality of Scripture, interpreting Scripture with, its, with itself. There is a such thing as mutual submission in Ephesians 5.21 in the body. There's not the idea of mutual submission when we move to the husband and wife role, but there is a mutual submission in the body of Christ as, as a whole. 1 Corinthians 11 11 through 12 says this, Nevertheless, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of the man, nor the man of the woman. As the woman was made from the man, so man is not born out of woman. So man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Here's what I love. That verse. So we got God creating Adam first, then, then makes Eve from Adam. Okay, now we see headship, leadership, submission. And then God goes, hey, but let me just, so everybody kind of stays with this idea of a mutual submission in the generalization of the body. Ha, 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 ha. She may have been created from him, but there's no more hymns going to come unless they come from her, right? Don't you love how God kind of orchestrates that thing together? That's my thing. I'm telling you, submission does not mean inequality of women to men and their value. By the way, I don't, I'm, you know, this will come later, but even when you read 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2 through 5, you see a mutual submission even in marriage when it comes to sexual romance. I mean, Ephesians, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5, makes a very strong case that there is a mutual submission. Although, the husband and wife, there's no mutual submission in the husband and wife role when we look at Ephesians, except we do see in 1 Corinthians 7, when it comes to a husband and wife offering their bodies for sexual intimacy, that they have an authority over each other's body, Right? At this point, most men are going like, yeah, have all you want right here. I get it. (laughs) I get it. Oh, come on. You know you guys were thinking that. Let me read for you. Husbands should give to her wife her conjugal rights. It means debt, duty, obligation. Likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife, (laughs) the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And at this point, people go like, yeah, that falls right in line. But likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. That's this mutual submission, except perhaps for agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, then come together again that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Notice, there's even this mutual submission idea in marriage when it comes to the marriage bed, that she has exclusive authority over his body and his, and he has that over her body, 
not to abuse. You misunderstand the text and the totality of Scripture if you think that. Do you understand this? So submission is not an inferiority of men to women. In fact, women have an authority over their husband's body for the marriage bed, which just means that, like, so people ask me this all the time, in the marriage bed, and, and we're gonna, we'll have a whole message later in this series on this one, and I'll explain to you how we're going to do that one, you know, with, you know, young ears, okay? I've got a plan. I've got a plan. But I would say this, so... I had this question like, how often should a marriage bed happen? And I would say, well, how often does she ask? How often does she want? You know, how often should it happen? How often does he desire? You know, and you may be saying like, well, he's like every hour on the hour. Well, then he's something's medically wrong with the guy. Okay, (laughs) it's unrealistic. But so the question is this, how can I offer this? How can I offer this in service? That's by the way, the marriage bed is all about servanthood, not about selfishhood. But I just want you to point out, there is nothing in submission that is this inferiority. So block that out. Submission specifically is also not, these are just some false concepts, okay, about submission. False concepts I'm trying to cover. We've covered the Genesis ideal. Now I want to cover some false concepts about submission. Submission specifically is not to all men in general but to your husband specifically, not to all men. Now, all women are to practice submission as far as the body of Christ, the one another's, but the specific kind of submission in the household that, that you give to a husband, that is with your husband, not to all men in general. That is it. So that means that, that you, can, you can still live out the one another's with men in the body, but it does not mean every single man. It does not mean that you shouldn't actually live out the one another's with, with men in the body of Christ. So we found this so far. The Genesis ideal for submission. We looked at it. We see it confirmed even in the New Testament. We looked at the false understandings of submission just now. Submission is not a dirty word. It's not a second-rate status. Submission does not mean equality of women to men. And submission specifically is not to all men in general, but to a husband specifically. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now let me get to the heart of submission. The heart of submission. Look in Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And then what does it say? As to the what? Lord. As to the Lord. Submission is actually something of the heart. It is reflective in a woman's worship. That means a husband, if you have to walk in and go, you need to submit to me. Right? I'm just imagining what a husband... That's the voice I picture a husband using who's, you know... I wouldn't see a husband trying to convince his wife to submit to be like, Would you please submit to me? You know, wouldn't seem. Okay, so that's just the voice I've got, guys. <clears throat> if you could only be in my head, right? If you could only be in my head. No, it's an expression of worship. It's an expression of worship as to the Lord. So why would a wife be submissive to her husband? Because she trusts the Lord's order in the word, and she trusts the Lord. So a husband, you cannot force your wife to be submissive. And wives, your submission is not dependent on how much he has earned the right or how easy or hard. It really is based off of, do I trust the Lord? Am I submissive to the Lord? Can I be submissive to the Lord's order for for the home? 
I mean, even in our Western culture, can I be submissive to the Lord and the order for the home even when all my culture and all my friends are telling me that is stupid and terrible? It's, a, it's an issue of the heart. Husbands, don't be consumed with your wife submitting to you. Be consumed with your wife submitting to the Lord. And if that's what you're truly after, you're not going to go around reminding her of how she's... If you have to tell your wife to be submissive to you, you're already way off the base on it, okay? And this is why we're teaching on it today. This is why we're talking about it, you know? Maybe this will finally be the message that gets me fired, right? Like, why'd you get fired? I talked about submission, right? What a great skin to have on your wall. <laughs> you know, like the men cheered me. The women, the women, you know, marched me out off the cliff. I'm just kidding with you guys. Y'all can take joking, right? Can you? Hopefully you can. So the heart of submission, it's all about worship of the Lord. Wives, how is your worship? I mean, how's your worship? It was interesting. If you were to read First Peter 3, 1 through 6, talks about a wife submitting to her husband, even a husband that doesn't deserve it, like isn't deserving of it. I mean, he's rebellious of the word when you look in 1 Peter 3, 1. And then it reveals that actually what God is going for is the heart instead of the outward adorning, but the heart. So my question for wives would be, whatever time you would spend like getting the outside of the body ready for the day, how much is there inward getting the soul ready for the day? That's what the Lord's actually after. And the ability to walk with a submissive soul towards your husband is all dependent on, is there a submissive soul to the Lord? I mean, does, he have the, the, does he have your heart? Does he have the priority of your life? Does he have your worship? Is, is he the treasure? Is he the prize? Is he the goal? Is the gospel that precious? So we've seen the Genesis ideal of submission. We've seen some false understandings of submission. We just looked at the heart of submission. It's first submitting to the Lord. Now I want to look at some practical aspects of submission. Some practical aspects of submission. And one would be this. Submission, as I said a while ago, it can happen to a husband that doesn't deserve it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1-6. through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. This is First Peter 3. I'm in 1. Without the conduct of their wives. Notice here. A wife is being asked to submit to a husband who is not really, in, in retrospect, obeying the Lord. Now, some say this would be a believer. Some say this would be an unbelieving husband. In the, the, the context, it starts to really talk about Abraham, who, Father Abraham, he was a believer. So there might be even a case that chapter, that this verse is actually referring to a believing husband that's probably rebellious towards the Lord, but you could apply it to an unbelieving man. It says, submit, be submissive to him, verse 2. So when they see your respectful and pure conduct, don't let it be the adorning of the external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. Let it be the adorning, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed. Abraham calling him Lord. I'm not telling you you have to call your husband Lord. That'd be weird. But your submission to Jesus should actually reflect you responding to him in such a way as that. For you are her children if you do good and not fear anything that is frightening. I just want to just say this quickly when you read these, this, this passage. Go read about the life of Abraham and Sarah. 
Go read Genesis 12 and Genesis 20, where Abraham was basically like, nah, she's not my wife, right? Like almost lets her get violated by other men. And that's the example God uses? <laughs> Does it tell you just how this is really of the heart? Did you get that? So submission. It can even happen to a husband who doesn't deserve it. Now, also, submission is evidenced by respect. Look at Ephesians 5.33. I want you to notice at the end of Ephesians 5.33, when he starts, after he's made the parallel of Christ in the church and how the order of the home, he says, let each of you love his wife as himself, which it's not saying be selfish, man. It's saying, like, the way you love yourself, like, love your wife. How do you love your wife? Well, how much do you love yourself? Like, yeah, it's pretty easy for you. You're selfish, man. Then he says this, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I would say just from a point of practical aspects of submission, it can happen to a husband who doesn't deserve it, like Abraham with Sarah, and it can happen, it, it is evidenced by respect. You know what's interesting is that word used right there, um, that word means reverence. Let me ask you, wives, the way you talk to your husband, the tone and inflection you talk to your husband, does it Show respect. That is a true indication practically. Am I actually submitting to my husband as unto the Lord? Now, I'll tell you this. If you're submitting to your husband out of begrudging submission, not because of an issue of your own worship before the Lord, then it won't be very respectful. It'll be loud. It'll be manipulating. It'll be conniving and cunning. And it will not be with a lot of respect. Another practical aspect of submission it's evidenced in 522 by everything. Look in 522. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Look in verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands. You see that word in everything? That's everything. Everything. That means a wife says like, what can I submit to my husband? Everything. Everything. Now, at this point, you might be going like, everything? Like, well, are there some things? Yes, there's some things you can't submit to your husband. You know what's interesting? If you look over, flip right over two books to your right, yeah, to your right, to chapter 3, verse 18. Notice it says in chapter 3, verse 18, parallel passage, not as much given as over in Ephesians, but Colossians three eighteen. Wives, submit to your husband's, as is what? Fitting in the Lord. That word fitting means proper. So yes, how far can a wife submit to her husband? In everything unless he's asking you to sin. See, a husband's authority is not unlimited. It's limited. It can't go above God's authority. So how far can a wife submit to her husband? In everything unless it's not fitting or proper. So for instance, if he's asking you to sin, then you can't submit to him. If he says, call into my work and lie for me that I'm sick, you can't do that. If he asks you to disobey civil law, like if your husband physically abuses you, you, it's not, you don't submit to him by not calling the cops. No, you report him. If he tries to abuse your children, you report him to the civil law and you get your children away from that man. That, that does not mean that, that, you, um, that in everything, it means that, you, that he has more authority than God. If he asks you to violate your conscience, into stumbling sin, violate biblical principles. If he wants you to violate your role as a mother to protect, nurture, and care for your children. If he wants you, if he says, 
if he says like if if he tells you, hey, I, if you if you divorce me, I'm going I'm going to abuse our kids. I'm going to take our kids. I mean, like you're you're not submitting to abuse. That's not what the scripture ever says when it says in everything, a man's authority is limited. But when he's not asking to sin, it can be in everything. Now, men, listen to me. The command is for her to submit to you in everything except sin, right? She has to submit to the Lord. But that's, I mean, submission is really to the Lord first. Women, I mean, men, I would say this. That doesn't mean that you get to micromanage her. If you go back and listen to last week, which please listen to prior messages, we talked about a woman being an Ezra and her having a unique role in 1 Timothy 4 of being called the oiko despotio, the house despot, okay? We see that she has a huge the domain of the home is hers, which means, wives, you submit to him in everything, even in the domain of the home. He has ultimate responsibility for that. But husbands, that doesn't mean you micromanage her in everything. I mean, like if she's in the home, like give her lots of leeway. But, but even this, if there's things, men, that she is a lot better than you at, like for instance, if she's better at QuickBooks and you still haven't learned how to use a mouse, okay? Or I don't know if we even have mouses. We now have pads, okay? I mean, like, if you don't even understand how an Excel sheet works, and, and but yet she can put that together, then you might delegate the paying of bills to her. You still need to be clued in and have an understanding, but it doesn't mean you can't delegate, and it doesn't mean you micromanage her. But here's what submission does do practically. It puts the weight of responsibility where it belongs on the husband. When God came to the garden and they fell, did he call out to Eve or Adam? Who does God continually hold responsible? Adam. Who is Jesus called? He's called the second Adam in Romans. When a wife is submissive to the Lord and by extension to her husband, she is ducking out of the way and letting her husband feel the full effects of what his leadership weight God has called him to be. And a man that is not put in a position to be responsible is a man that can easily go rogue. That's why I'm just, there's just a side note, like moms. Man, nurture and care for your, your children. Man, be the house despotio. Please get me. When your boy starts to become a man, do not protect him from the consequences of his decisions. If your 19-year-old boy is going to act a fool, you let him stay in jail. Stop bailing the boy out. He must feel the weight of responsibility. You are harming your future daughter-in-law to let this dude get bailed out every time, right? Like, like this is not what we want men to do. And when men, when women are submissive to the Lord and submit to their husband, you are ducking out of the way and letting him pull the full weight. He is ultimately responsible. And by the way, I would say this. My wife, she's a picture of submission. I mean, she calls me Lord just about every morning. (laughs) You know, and it's a big weight. It's a double weight on my soul, to be honest with you. Like if things go bad, it's on me. It's on me. Now, that doesn't mean like, yeah, because your wife's just a, a yes person, like she has no opinion. Have you hung around my wife? Like, if there's ever, a war, if there's ever an Ezra, <laughs> right? if there's ever like a warrior princess, I mean, take a look at my wife. Like, she, she'll get fierce with you if you have to, okay? You know, man, if she was preaching these sermons, it'd be a lot different, okay? I mean, like, she'll get after you. So, the Genesis ideal for submission, we've covered the false understandings of submission. We've covered the heart of submission. We've covered the practical aspects of submission. Now let me end with objections to submission. Let me just give you a couple of objections from the text. Look at Ephesians 5. How are you guys doing? You still alive? Awake? Okay. 
Hopefully none of you husbands were so foolish. I mean, there's times where a wife might elbow her husband like, hey, you need to listen to this. But, you know, hopefully you didn't elbow your wife. <laughs> then you, if you did, you didn't understand that this was from the Lord. It's of the Lord that she submits, not, not your elbow. Okay? But how fitting if you elbowed her rib because she came from your rib. So guard yours. She might be coming to grab another one here in a minute. Okay, I've got to stop. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's rein it in, Nick. Keep it in. Don't, don't say everything you're thinking. All right, Ephesians 5.22. I do... First thing I want to say is this. Some objections to submission. Some people would say it encourages the abuse of women. It encourages the abuse of women. And I would say if you think that, you just haven't read the text clearly. In Ephesians 5, when 22 through 24 talks about the submissiveness of the church to Christ and the wives to a husband, and you see the husband in verse 25 through 30, it talks about how he should cherish her and love her and sacrifice for her. There is no way that you can actually faithfully interpret the Bible and think that submission is meant to abuse women. Now, this is what we do. Men take the good things God gives and use them for selfish purposes, right? But, but that's not what the text... That's, submission is not an encouragement to abuse. It's a challenge even for men to love their wives even more. Even look at this. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse verse 18 when it talks about this. It says, wives submit to your own husbands as fitting in the Lord. And look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be what? Harsh with them. Even the word of God warns and says, husbands, this is not a platform for you to go after her hard. So... Biblical submission does not encourage the abuse of women. Reject that secular idea. Biblical submission does not. Now let me deal with something theological. Look back at Ephesians chapter 5. Some would look at this and go, Hmm, Nick, you don't know your Greek. Because when you look at the text of Ephesians 5.22 and Ephesians 5.24... The word for submit is not in the original text. And I would say, you let me do the preaching, all right, in the Greek around here. (laughs) The truth is, look in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. That word submit is not in the original Greek text. Not there. And you're like, aha! Translators, they've absconded the... I knew it! I could never trust these guys. In verse 24, it says, so as the church submits to Christ. By the way, that word submit to Christ, the church submits to Christ, is in the text, the original text. The hupotasso Greek word is there. So wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That word is not in the original Greek text right there. So I've had some go, Nick, here's my objection. Not in the text. So why'd you do a whole message over this? Okay, not in the text. We interpret the Bible with what? The Bible. Now, I will tell you this. When you look at the context of here, he, in verse 22, 23, 24, is comparing the church's submission of, of, of the church submitting to Christ, and that's why the translators supply it right there. It's not out of the context. Sometimes the way your translators work is they provide words that bring clarity, but when they do that, they also have a basis in the totality of Scripture. Having so... When I say that, what I'm saying is this. Look in Ephesians chapter 
I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. It says in Colossians 3, 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Paralleling, right? Colossians 3, 18. Let me ask you. You might be going like, ha I bet it's not there. No, it is. Hupatasso's right there. So it's not inaccurate that they put it there, but just, just so you know, it's not in those particular Ephesian, Ephesian, two Ephesian verses. Although in the context, that's a proper fitting. In Ephesians 5.21, when it talks about the mutual submission of the body of Christ, that word submit, hupatasso, is there. But it's proper to have it in that whole thing. And when you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, where it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That word subject in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1, yes, the word hupatasso is there. So yes, that's true. It's not in verse 21 and 24, but in the totality of Scripture, it is there. So it's not improper that a translator would put it there. Okay. Well done, y'all. Listen to a very painful message. Now let's end with this as we uh, go into a time of taking communion and edifying each other. Worshiping, you make your way up here. This is a tall order. It's a tall order for wives. To be submissive to a husband as you are to the Lord. It's a tall order. But here's what I love about it. All this is showing the gospel message. As we take communion here in a minute, I mean, listen, we are remembering the body and blood of Christ. And as a church, when we're taking communion, we're basically saying like, Jesus, you died for my sins. I am responding to you in love. I'm, I'm remembering you. So even the submission that a wife has, it's all about the Lord. It's all about showing the gospel message. Her ezering of her husband, it's about showing the gospel message. When a husband leads his wife in, through responsibility and servant, it's about showing the gospel message. The gospel message gets shown through how we are walking in the Genesis ideals. What a great opportunity to take communion. Would you stand together? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a little bit of, of, a, of a verse. Then I'm going to come back up and lead us through communion. But before I do, I've got the mic. And I've got my trusty alcohol wipes. And if you've come this morning to edify the body, maybe there's a prayer you want to pray. Or maybe you've seen the Lord answer a prayer request. Or maybe in the Word. Or you witness to somebody and you want to build up the body this morning. You've come with that. We'll give a couple minutes as much as we can with our time left. We'll do that, then we'll finish taking communion and close out our day together. Would you pray with me? Thank you for your word. And thank you for a chance to sing, to take communion together as a body of Christ and remember the gospel message that all the way back to Genesis 2, our marriages were meant to put on display your love for your bride. Let us remember that today as we take of this supper in just a moment. Let us prepare ourselves to confess our sins to one another if we've not, to forgive others, and to take this communally. In Jesus' name, amen.